All right, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, the good news is we are now halfway through 1 Timothy. We've, we've made it. There's three chapters really behind us, and there's the, the bad news is I guess there's three chapters still ahead of us, so we still got a long way to go. But right here you'll see that. There's three behind us, and there's three ahead of us, so that puts us right in the, the heart of 1 Timothy. I mean, this is the, the, the middle of the book. And these verses, I think it's amazing how God put this together, how he uh, puts his word together is an amazing thing. I don't think we appreciate it enough. But it's amazing how you have three chapters ahead of this and three chapters after this. And these three, these three verses right here in the middle of this become a summary of the entire book. So this here tonight is a summary of everything that Paul wants to tell Timothy. So really, we could have preached these three verses and not spent six months in this book. Because this is really the heart of the, of the entire book. And in these three verses we're going to look at tonight, chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, I want to show you, or Paul's going to show Timothy, what makes a true church, what makes a, a real church. Uh, I want to say in a few minutes, there's a lot of churches out there, but here he shows us what to look for in a real church. So I, I want us to look at that tonight. Let, let's stand together. I'm going to read these three verses. And again, the title of the sermon is what to look for not really in a church, but in a true church, a real church of the living God. And I think we're living in a, having a crisis today where most people don't understand what a real church is. And we need to know that. that that's the main reason why I'm studying and we're preaching First Timothy. We need to know what the real church is. So let's read these verses together, the heart here of First Timothy. What is What to look for in a true church. Verse 14. He says, these things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. These are three great verses for us tonight. As I want to show you in three verses, four things to look for in a real, true church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, that it doesn't just leave us to try to figure these things out on our own and make it up as we go. But God, your word is very clear on what you want for your church. I know that we've erred, that the church in this age is, has went away from what your word says. We went away from the plumb line of your truth. We went off to do what the world wants us to do, to be pleasing of the world, to be accepted of the world, so the world will be pleased with us. And God, we need to be drawn back here, and I'm thankful that you've led us as a church to be drawn back to 1 Timothy, that we would see what you want, what you expect, what you demand of your church. So God, help me to teach these things tonight. I'm excited about it. I think these are great truths. I've spent two weeks digging into these three verses, and there's so much here. So help me to get them across. And we to teach these things well. And I pray, God, that you'd let us be that church that you would be pleased with. That nobody else, not me, not anybody in this room, needs to be pleased. Only you need to be pleased with the church. So teach us these things tonight. And we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I did a Google search this week, and it was an interesting thing. I just typed in Big Stone Gap, Virginia Churches. That was my Google search. And you guys can do the same thing if you want to. And it pulls it up on a map. 
and uh, on the map, and I'm just talking about in the t- town limits, just a, a, a radius of, of a few miles. So I'm I'm sitting there on my computer, and I'm I'm zooming in, and I'm zooming out. But when I typed in Big Stone Gap, Virginia churches, it pops up there on a map, little red little uh, dots with a cross above it. And it's going to show you in the town of Big Stone all the churches that are there. And you'd be amazed at how many churches are just in a, a few mile radius in the town of Big Stone Gap. I zoomed into West End Baptist Church and, and there we were. And right across the road from us was KFC. I mean, it just, it, it's, it's, I love how God put us right where we need to be. <laughs> And all these churches around, right around us. And then you can zoom out in our area and, and even further out. And you're going to find just, just in the, in, in the, our vicinity, I think there was almost 20 churches in this little town, town limits and more being added every day. There's a coffee shop church. There's a, a new church, a little Pentecostal church out back in the old West End Baptist building. Churches everywhere. And then I zoomed out in Wise County and, and, and the red dots just started, started appearing everywhere. And then I zoomed out into Lee County and Dixon County, just southwest Virginia, and there was red dots everywhere. Hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of churches. Churches all over the place. Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, all kinds of different Pentecostal churches. Non-denominational, Church of God, Church of Christ, the Lutheran, Jehovah's Witness, Catholic, Mormon, you name it. There's churches all over our area. Everywhere you look, you, I mean, you could leave this place, drive through town, and there's church, 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 church. First church I pastored was, was in a little town of about 150 people. The town, the, the church was on Church Street. One, one, one street in town, Church Street, five churches on that one street. I mean, it's just churches everywhere, everywhere you look. So the question I want to ask tonight is, are they all the real church? Are they all the true church? You went in and went to all those dots. And went and, and, and went to that church. Are they all the real church? Are they the true church? Does it matter which church you go to? If somebody come to you and said, I want to go to a church in Big Stone, would you say, Google it, close your eyes, put your finger on one, whichever one you go to is fine, just go to church. Does it matter? If you would, if you was looking for a church, how would you choose a church? Where would you go? These are big questions, and I don't think many know the answer. I think many choose a church for the wrong reasons. I think, again, we're in a crisis today where most people don't even know what to look for in a church. They go to church for all the wrong reasons. So the Bible says, and we need to know this, that some churches aren't the true church. That there are some churches out there that, even in Revelation, that Jesus called a synagogue of Satan. That's what Jesus said. So not every church is the real church. Not every church is the true church. So we need to know tonight what is the true church. What to look for in a church. And Paul gives us these three verses. And it's not just these three verses. It's, it's all of 1 Timothy. But Paul wanted Timothy to know what God wanted his church to be. So he said in verse 14, I want to come and tell you in person. I want to come and tell you face to face. I hope to, He says in verse 14, these things I write unto you, hoping to come to you very soon. I don't want to write these things to you. Plan A is that I come to you and tell you these things about your church face to face, person to person. But he wasn't sure if he'd make it because he understands what we all need to understand, that God God often has a complete disregard for our plans. So he had a plan B. He said, if I don't make it, and he never did. He never made it to Timothy. He never, never made it back to Ephesus. So he said, if I can't get there to you so that I can tell you these things face to face, what a real church is, then I'm going to, he says that there, then what I'm going to do is write these things to you. 
so that you'll have them on paper, that you'll get get them, and you'll know what a real church is. So he wrote this whole letter, not just these three verses, but the entire letter of 1 Timothy is written so that Timothy can know how to keep his church in order, what a real church is, what a true church is, how to, how to line up. And God's doing this, not, not just that church for Timothy, but every church after Timothy needs to line their church up with what God wants out of his church. So that's what he's writing here. What a true, real church looks like. Not just in name, not just in building, not just in, in steeple, not just in, in cross, not just in stained glass windows, but what God wants out of his church. And he summarizes it perfectly here in these three verses. These things I write unto thee, hoping to come shortly. But if I tarry long, here's what I'm writing, that you'll, make, you'll know how to behave yourself. And he gives a description of the church. So I've got four descriptions for you here. Four things to look for in a real, true church. And they're all found right here in these three verses. So follow with me as I work through this to show you what to look for in a church. If something happens and you move one day, you need to have this wrote wrote down. I'm going to go to a town and I'm not just going to close my eyes and and, and hit any place in town. I'm going to find me a church like this. And may we be a church like this. And I think we are. So let's look at this. Number one. Look for a place that is the family of God. Look for a place that is the family of God. You say, where do you see that at? Watch this. He says, but if I tarry long, that you may know how to behave yourself in the house of God. You see that there? He says, the house of God. Writing to you to tell you how to behave or to conduct yourself in the house of God. Now, we've heard this before. You've all heard that, that when you come to church, it is the house of God. I've, I've said that to my kids uh, so many times. Uh, they'll run through the church and I'll say, you don't run in God's house. You've heard that. We've all used that as a way to keep our kids to get our kids to behave. This is God's house. Behave here. They should behave everywhere. But you've heard that. But I, I want you to see here what, what he means by the house of God. So follow with me. Look, look at You see this word house four times in this chapter. Look with me in verse... Four, talking about pastors, one that ruleth well his own house. You see that there? You'll see it again in verse five. For if a man know, know not how to rule his own house, same word, house of God, now it's the house of a pastor. And then you go to, to verse 12, he's talking about the deacon's house. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. So that's three times he's used that word house, talking first about the elder's house or the home or the family, and then the deacon's home or house or family, and then he moves right in 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 verse 15 and says, house of God. So I want you to see here that he's not talking about, in the first three, a building. He's not talking about the pastor's home with his, with the brick and the, and the, and the roof and all the, all the things, the structure of the house. He's not talking about the deacon's home. He's talking about the pastor's family. He's talking about the deacon's family. So when he gets to this term here, he's talking not about the building with the steeple and the stained glass windows and the pew and the pulpit and the stage. He's talking about the church as a family. As is the pastor's family and the deacon's family, we are God's family. That's what he's saying here. We're a family. Speaking of, of a local family unit. That my house, at, at, at my home, there's seven of us in, in the house. And a dog. We are a family. But here at this church, we're not a building. We're a family. 
That's what this is talking about. We have relationships here. Our local church, if, if my local family in my home, my wife and my five kids, seven of us, then we have a local church here at, at West End where there's over a hundred members of this little local family. We're a family. This is amazing truth. I, I think this is something you ought to look for. A family. A divine family where God is our Father, the pastor is, is in his place as leader, the deacons are servant leaders, and everybody in the family is playing a part and serving in a role. Everybody is in their place where you support and, and encourage each other, you love and you correct, you treat each other like family. We call each other brother and sister in Christ. We are a local family of God. That's what we are. We're a family. And we have family rules. That's what he says. How to behave yourself in God's house. <laughs> you go into some houses. I think Steph even has one in our house. House rules. <laughs> no cussing, no fussing. You know, you know those things. God has rules for his house. For his family. On how things ought to be done. How you ought to, he says here, to conduct yourself or behave yourself. That for the church as a whole, there's a way that God wants us to run as a family. There's ordinances that we follow in the Lord's Supper and Baptism. There's offices that we have and a pastor and a deacon. That's the, how the church runs on a, on a daily basis and in its service. There's also behavior in how Christians ought to act. See the qualifications of a pastor and a deacon. There's a way that individuals in the family should behave. And see church discipline. There's a way that individuals in the church ought to behave. Because how we behave as individuals and how we conduct ourselves as a church says a lot about who our father is over the house. I've said that to my kids a lot. I want them to understand that. Then when we walk outside our house, how they treat me, how they talk to me, how they behave, when they get on a basketball court, and how they talk to the ref, and how they treat their teammates, and how they cheer on the bench, it's all representative of their father who teaches them. It's the same thing for us. We're part of the family of God, and how you live outside these doors is representative of the father who's over your family. That's the reason we discipline in the church. Somebody gets out of line, you discipline. That's a family thing. This is a family. We're, we're in, in, the, in the household of God. Our behavior must be consistent with the family that we belong to. So he says it's a family. That's a big deal to me. It should be a big deal to you. That's what you look for. I want to be a part of a real family of God. I want brothers and sisters who encourage me and love me and are there for me that when somebody dies, they're going to support me. That when, when there's a birth, that they're going to be there to celebrate with me. When I get a, a promotion in my job, they're there to, to, to celebrate with me. That when I'm hurting, they're hurting with me. That when I'm burdened, they're carrying that with me. That's one of the greatest things about a church is that we are a family who takes care of one another. It makes a huge difference for a church to be a family of God. So that's number one. And if you're a family, you can't just join the church. You have to be born again into the church to be a part of the family of God. We believe in regenerate membership of a church. That you just can't put your name on a roll and be a part of the family of God. You can join a church, but you can't be a part of the family until you're born again. Let's move on. So if you want to look for a church, look for a church that is the family of God. That's what he says there, the household of, of God. Let's move on. How to behave yourself in the house of God. And then he gives us another description here. Not just uh, look for a place that is the family of God. Look for a place that worships the living God. And that, that's a big deal right there. 
You've got to have the right God, right? You can't just worship any God. We worship in, in, in the church the living God. And look what it says, the, the living God. The church which is the, the, the church of the living God. Or, or the church, and he uses that word there, the ecclesia is the word. It means the gathering place of the living God. The assembly of the living God. Or even better, the living God's assembly. I like that term. That's what a church is. This is a huge statement. Because, and I, I've got to do a, a comparison here. And I think he's doing that because one of the biggest buildings in Ephesus at that time was a, a, a place of worship. There was a temple to Diana in Ephesus. And it is it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was big. It was beautiful. It was amazing. When you would walk into Ephesus, and I've, I've Googled it, it doesn't exist now. It's all fallen down. All It's, it's just, uh, just crumbled and, and failed today. All that's left is a, a few rocks. But if you Google a picture of what it used to be, the first thing you'd see is in the skyline of the city is the Temple of Diana. I mean, it was beautiful. 127 columns that it would take three men wrapping their arms around it to get their arms around these columns. And it was a place in the center of town dedicated to a dead idol named Diana. A dumb, deaf, mute idol that these people would show up and they'd worship a non-existent dead God. Hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds. Everybody who came to Ephesus, it was almost like the truest attraction that they'd all go to this place where there's a, a dead idol that is worshipped. I mean, there's a lot of activity. There's a lot of things going on. There's money coming in. There's priests and there's priestesses and there's goddesses and there's all these things going on there. And you think it's the hub of excitement in the town, but it's all gathered around a dead idol. They pray. They sacrifice. They do all these things to a dead idol. And Paul says here, your church may be small. It may not be attractive. It may not bring in the crowds. It may not be popular. It may not be where everybody wants to go. But I'll tell you what it is. It's the place where the living God assembles with you. That's a big deal. A place where the living God is worshipped. That's what he's saying there. This is the living God's. The great glory of coming together as the church is that God meets with us when we gather. God meets with us. And we need to get this. I, I, I think we've lost this today. And when we gather as a church, a real church, a true church, God meets with us in a special way. I know that God is omnipresent, which means He is everywhere. There's no place you can go that He's not. I get that. You get that. It's the same thing in the Old Testament. He was everywhere. But there was one place where God would meet with His people in the tabernacle. In the mountain, Moses went up. You know God was still everywhere. But He was specially placed in that mountain in Sinai. Or in that tabernacle. Or in the Holy of Holies. He, he showed up in a special way there. In an extraordinary way there. He met with His people. And where does He meet with His people today? In the church. In the real church. The true church. There are places where he meets with his people. That's a big deal. Yes. If 
find you a church where the living God is. Now, there's a lot of people that meet. There's people that meet in gyms. I go to gyms all the time. And it's amazing how many people assemble in the gym. Some of them don't even work out. They just sit there and talk to each other and drink protein shakes. <laughs> it's, just, it's like they just hang out. It's like, these are my people. Because the living God ain't meeting there with you. There's people that meet on teams. I watch my kids practice with teams, and they got 12 teammates and 15 coaches, and just all these people gathered together, and we go and watch them, and everybody's gathered around. Sometimes it's almost like, I believe, hundreds upon hundreds of people gather in a gym to, to gather around a, a dead idol of a basketball. That sounds bad, don't it? But it's true. God's not there with us in a special way. You can meet together as a family. We, we meet together as a family. We had our Christmas get-together. and I know we wasn't supposed to probably. Uh, Fauci might get mad at us, but I think there's like 45 of us got together at Christmas. It's not the church. you got Kiwanis meeting and the Ruritan, that's a hard word to say, the Ruritan clubs meeting and the hunting clubs meeting. God's not there with you in a special way. Now you got some religions that meet together. You know that there was Buddhists meeting together today? Not the living God. You know that Krishna, they gather today in his name? Non-existent, dead idol. They gather together today in, in Mormon churches? Dead idols. They gather together today in, in Islam? For, for Islam, for Muhammad, for, for Allah? Dead idol. They gather today in Hindu temples all across America and across the world? Dead idol. God's not there. No living God. You know, some churches met today all across Big Stone, Wise County. They met today and they did church things. But God didn't meet with them in a special way. I'll tell you what to look for in a church. You find you a place where the living God meets with his people and that's where you assemble. That's where you gather. That's where you show up. That's the church I want to be a part of. The place where the living God meets. The Bible says that there's some churches, Revelation 2 and 3, where God comes, Jesus comes in and takes the candlestick out and writes, Ichabod, God's presence is not here anymore. Is there any place in southwest Virginia out of all those churches where I can meet with the living God and worship him? That's where I want to go. That's where I'll join. That's what I'll be a part of. We want a church where we meet with and worship the living God. We will drive to that church. Right? Wouldn't we? If there's one church in all southwest Virginia that worships the one true and living God and he meets with that church in a, in a special way and he's working and, 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 and uh, using that church in, in a mighty way, I will drive as far as I have to drive to be in that church. Right? A church that's alive is worth whatever the drive. The church that has a living God is worth the trod. <laughs> Yeah, just off the top of my head. <laughs> I didn't know where I was going with that. <laughs> I'm cracking myself up. <laughs> Wouldn't you, though? I mean, is that not the case? You'll risk sickness to go to a church of the living God. You'll risk your safety to go to a church of the living God. I think it's true that the further you get away from the church, a real church the further you get away from the living God. Amen. Where God's meeting with his people and you don't show up, you're getting away from him. People say that all the time. Oh, you can leave the church and not leave God. That's not biblical at all. 
That's why you see people, especially in a family, that starts to drift and get away. I'm seeing them drift away from the church and seeing them drift away from the living God. So I want a church. I want to find me a church. Look for a church. There's a place where they worship the living God. The one true and living God. You say, how do you know that? (laughs) I'm glad you asked because that gets me to point number three. How do you know if it's a church of the living God? Look for a place that stands for the truth of God. There you go. I mean, he just just answers it right here. Look at it with me. How you ought to behave in verse 15. In the house of God, there's a family. In the church of the living God, there's worship the, the living God. And now they stand for the truth of God. You want a church that stands for the truth of God. Look what it says. The pillar and ground of truth. He gives an illustration here of what the church ought to be. And he uses architectural terms. And I'm going to go back to the temple of Diana because I think, again, he's using a a compare and contrast there of of the church and the temple of Diana. The temple of Diana, again, it had, he says there, the pillar, I told you there's 127 pillars to the temple of Diana. There were columns, there was solid marble covered in jewels and gold, and each column was a gift from a different king. This thing was magnificent. And it it existed, these columns held up that temple that existed to display the glory and the beauty of goddess Diana. To hold up, get this, error and lies. It existed to hold up lies. When people went to the temple of Diana, those columns were beautiful, but they held up lies. So for the church, he says, we don't hold up lies. That's not what we do. We hold up, what does it say there? The truth. Where, here's your question. Where can I find in all of Southwest Virginia, within driving distance of my home, where can I find not opinions, not politics, not lies, not fake news? Where can I find in all of my area, in all those red dots on Google Maps, where can I find the truth? That's what I'm after. That's what the church is. It's our job not to hold up lies, but to hold up the truth. That's our job. That's what we do. We stand upright and we hold up, we support, we reveal, we treasure, we safeguard, we preach the truth. In a world full of lies, a world full of voices and ideas and opinions and philosophies, there is one place where you can find the truth being upheld and it is the church. That's the reason they want to shut down the church and silence the church because the church is the one place in all the world where you can get the truth. So is the church essential? You better believe it is. It holds up the truth. If we don't hold up the truth, who will? God has given us the truth. And I I, I get a picture of us. There's 127 pillars that, that were around the temple of Diana holding up lies. And I get a picture of us, all over a hundred of us in this local assembly, and every one of us individually, like a pillar holding up the truth of God. Every one of us, that's what we do, that's who we are. And then it adds, not just a pillar, but we're a ground. And this is my favorite part of the whole passage. I love this. The ground. You say, what is the ground? 
The ground would be the, this is so good, the foundation and the bedrock. Or this term is also used for a mountain. This is so good. Why is it used for a mountain? I think the the ground here is the permanence of it. I, I think it's Paul saying, not only do we hold the truth high, but we hold it generation after generation after generation. A mountain... You see a mountain in some place, you're going to come back in 10 years and think the mountain's still going to be there. I saw a picture last week, somebody posted on Facebook, that had the, the Pound football field, one of the, the greatest places of football glory in all of southwest Virginia. <laughs> Adam knows it's true. <laughs> Being built in 1940. There's just nothing. They had, they had bulldozers going in. Making the place. And I'm sure they were saying great football will be played here. (laughs) And and in the background there was a mountain. And then somebody had taken that picture from the 19, I think it was the 40s, of the the football field being built. And then it turned it around and and we see it today. And and now it's it's all grown up and all the glory days are gone by. And, and, and it looks terrible now. And it's showing two different pictures of, of, of way back then and, and now. And you understand that everything had changed in the picture, but the mountain was still there. <laughs> I thought, that's, that's us. Everything can change around us. Everything in Big Stone can change. New businesses and new people and, and all the, the, the new council and the new mayors and new generations coming and new generations going and everything around is changing in the culture. But the one thing in Big Stone Gap that remains the same generation after generation after generation is that we stand as a place of truth. Where can I, where can I find the truth 40 years ago? Here. Where can I find it 40 years from now? Here. This is a place of truth. I like that. There will be a permanent fixture in Bigstone Gap, Wise County, Southwest Virginia, this whole area of a place where you can find the truth. And we'll be there all the time. Steadfast, immovable. It snows. You know what's going to happen? Nobody else can get there. Oh, well, preacher's going to call his buddy Brandon. He's going to fight the snow, and we're going to get here and get online. Why? We need people to know that on Sunday, this is a place where the truth is going out. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school, Wednesday night, every other chance we get, truth is going out of this place. We're a pillar and ground of truth. There may be bigger, there may be more fancy, but there's one place in all of this area where you can know the truth is being stood for. Find you a place that's a pillar and ground of truth. Louis Burkhoff said, the church is the guardian of truth, the citadel of truth, the defender of truth, over against all the enemies of the kingdom of God. So that generation after generation after generation, the temple of Diana has crumbled and it's failed. But the great wonder of the world still stands, the truth of the word of God. So the church still holds it up. So look for a church that's a pillar and ground of truth. Look for a church that believes the truth and we believe the truth. Look for a church that studies the truth. Look for a church that preaches the truth, that defends the truth, that preserves the truth, that proclaims the truth, that holds the truth up high and stands for the truth when everybody else is not. Find you a church that does that. And that's a church I want to be a part of. That's a church I want my kids to be a part of. That's a church I want my grandkids to be a part of. I want to be a part of a church that stands for the truth of the Word of God. There you go. There's number three. 
Look for a church that's a family of God. Look for a church that worships the, the living God. Look for a church that stands for the truth of God. And lastly, and this one could have been its own sermon, so hang on tight, I'm not even close to being done. There are six sub-points in verse 16. <laughs> Look for a place that believes in the Son of God. Yes. That's verse 16, it's all about Jesus. He says, and without controversy, you know what that is? By common confession. We all agree what that's saying is this is not controversial at all. This is what we believe. These things is what it's saying there. Without controversy, by common confession, we all say amen to these things. And, and what this is, is it's a creed. An early creed that they would write. These, this is what we as a church believe. This is our statement of faith. This is our confession. Some would say it's even a song or a, a hymn that they would get up and sing at the beginning of their services of this is what we believe. So it matters what we believe. There are certain things that we all must agree on. You can't just say, oh, we're all just going to get along. There are certain things that you, you, you got to agree with. And, and he gives us here these certain things. Six lines. Six truths. And it's all about Christ. Every bit of it. You see that without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. That's Jesus. Jesus who is God. So now he gives us this list all about Christ. You can't have a true church unless you know the true Christ. There's a lot of churches out there that the Christ they preach, I don't recognize. It's not the Christ of the Bible. These things, look at this. I mean, this, is, this is not a generic thing. This is not general. He gets very detailed about what we must believe about Jesus. So let's look at it. These six things. I want to start with, I think this is interesting. Because he says there in verse 16a, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. I love that first statement. You say, what does that mean? What, what is that? Watch this. This is so good. You guys, I said hang with me. We've got about 30 more minutes. <laughs> I'm going to preach all the way through that football game tonight. <laughs> Turn with me to Acts 19. I'm going to read a few verses to you. This is Paul in Ephesus. In verse 23. And it says, Paul comes into the city of Ephesus and he causes a great stir. Watch this verse 23. And at the same time there arose no small stir about that way. About the way of Christ. He comes in preaching Christ. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for, who do you make shrines for? Diana. We've heard about Diana somewhere here tonight. Brought no small gain to the craftsmen. So they were making little bitty idols for, for Diana in the temple. Whom he called together with the workmen of the, of the like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this craft we're, we make money. We, it's our wealth. He's ruining it for us. He's telling us this stuff is false. We're losing money because he's saying Diana is wrong and, and Christ is right. So he, he's, 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 he's got a stir going. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away much people saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. Fake gods, false gods. So that not only is our craft is in danger to be said at naught, but also that temple of the great goddess Diana, 
should be despised. And her magnificence should be destroyed. Whom all Asia and the world comes to worship. See, I wasn't making that stuff up, was I? You didn't think I was anyway, but here. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath. And they cried out and said, Great is Diana of Ephesus, of the Ephesians. Does that sound a little bit like what he's saying over there? Great is the mystery of godliness. I think this was their statement of faith. This was the, the cry of the pagans. I think this was how they, they even worshipped in that temple. They would say, great is, the, is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. You say, Josh, how do you know they repeat it like that? What's this? And the whole verse 29, and the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered into under the people, the disciples suffered him not. He's in danger. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not where wherefore they were come together. They've got a crowd there, just a just a, a riot taking place. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, and the Jews putting him forward, and Alexander beckoned with his hand and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice for the space of two hours, they cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. For two hours they said that. That was the cry of the pagans. That's their, their statement of faith. No content to it at all. Just great as Diana of the Ephesians. Just an ignorant worship of a false god. And Paul, back to 1 Timothy, says this is the cry of the church. Not great as Diana of the Ephesians, but great is the mystery of godliness. Great is what God has revealed to us. Greater than anything you've got in Diana, we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. That's good. Great is the mystery of godliness. Great is what God has revealed to us. And he gives us these six truths. And I've got seven minutes. What's this? He gives us these six things. See, six mysterious truths that God has revealed that we all believe. Just one line after the other. And I won't spend a lot of time on it. It says, first truth. See, all they would say about Diana is great is, the, is, is Diana of the Ephesians. But here we have great is the mystery of godliness. For, here we go, our God was manifest in the flesh. What a mystery. Yeah. Diana ain't got nothing like that. Pagans ain't got nothing like that. Our God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus came in the flesh. This is the incarnation that, that God became man. That God was made visible in flesh. The pre-existent Son of God came face to face with us in the flesh. That the one who, the, John 1 says, the Word was God and the Word was with God. Verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Oh, what a, what a mystery. Let's think about that one over a cup of coffee. God, he, he, he came with us in the flesh. I'll say this. 
If you don't believe this, you ain't saved. So Mormons, when they meet together, wrong Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses, when they meet together, wrong Jesus. They don't get this right. Islam don't get this right. So find you a church that preaches Jesus as God in the flesh. Number two, Jesus was justified in the Spirit. <laughs> this is so good. He was vindicated, is what the word means. He was proven to be exactly who he said he was. How? By everything he did and everything he said. By his words that no man spake like this. By his works that no man could do the works of him. By his baptism when the, when the, the voice of the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit fell like a dove on him. And you had the Trinitarian baptism of, of Jesus proving him to be who he was. Then you had his death. I mean, the, the curtain was split in two. Truly, this was the Son of God. His resurrection uh, declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. Everything he did, everything he said, proved and vindicated him to be the Son of God. Yes, his ascension finds you a church that preaches the sinless, perfect, powerful life of the Lord Jesus Christ. That preaches the gospel for three or four years at a time. We do that, don't we? We spend our life studying the, the life of Jesus. The next one, let's move on. Manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels. I like this. There was angels at every moment in the life of Jesus. From his birth all the way to the resurrection, to the ascension. And, and I, I had a hard time trying to figure out what this was. I'll give you what I think it is. Why is the angels put here? But every moment of his life, it's like the angels are just peeking over saying, what is going on here? Jesus manifest in the flesh? He went down there? Wow. What in the world? I've never seen anything like this. In his temptation, there was angels. In his resurrection, there was angels. In his ascension, they said, why are you stand here gazing? Angels. When he comes back, there's going to be angels. It's like they're looking into everything that he's doing. And the Bible even says that, that they, they look into these things because they, they're trying to figure it out. They're amazed by what Jesus did. And they're confirming who he is every part of his life. So you say, what does this have to do with the church? The angels have a, an amazement with the gospel and with Jesus. I'm going to say this, find you a church. And they're amazed at the gospel. They're amazed at grace. They don't get it. And they, they gaze. What? He's saving them? <laughs> he saved Paul? He saved that old Josh from Pound? Wow, what grace! We don't get nothing like that! Find you a church that's amazed by the grace of God. Floored by it. Peering into it. Trying to get the gospel. Amazed that he would take a wretch like me, a blind, and make him see. Amazed by it all. Don't find you a, a cold, dead church that's not amazed by grace. Amazing. The angels. Seen of angels. Preached unto the Gentiles. I like this one. And Jesus is not just a savior of one nation, Israel. He's a savior of all nations. He's a Christ for the world. The world needs a Christ and Christ is for the world.
That's why they were sent out. Go into all the world and preach the gospel unto all creatures. Don't leave anybody out. Don't let any nation be left out. Cross every border. Go everywhere you can be. No lines. No out of bounds. Preach him everywhere you, you go. Send out missionaries. You say, what does this mean? I want to find a church that believes the gospel should go to all creatures. And that preaches it to all creatures. And we'll get it to, to, and take it to anybody and everywhere that we can take it. I don't know what number this one is. Let's move on to the next one. Believed on in the world. <laughs> this is a good one too. This is just good. Let me go back through it. Find you a church that preaches Jesus is God in the flesh. Yeah. Find you a church, and I know that's theological. You don't hear that in a lot of churches today. Find you a church that preaches the sinless, perfect, powerful life of Jesus Christ. Find you a church that is as amazed as the angels are at the grace of Almighty God. Find you a church that believes the gospel should go to every creature, and not just believes it, but actually preaches it to all creatures. And then find you a church that believes God still saves sinners. Find you a church that believes that God still changes the hearts of sinners. Find you a church where God is saving sinners. That's what it says here. He's believed on in the world. And that's true. In Acts 2, 3,000 believed. In Acts 4, there's more. In Acts 6, 20,000. In Acts 9, Paul. In Acts 28, the uttermost parts of the world are believing in Jesus. And that's a mystery. That men in their nature... And how bad the world is are still believing in Jesus. Find you a church that believes in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to save souls. Find you a church that believes that the power, the Holy Spirit still has the power to regenerate hearts. Find you a church that believes what 1 Corinthians 6 says, of such were some of you. Find you a church where they believe that God still saves sinners. That's what we need. I'm giving you all kinds of things to look for in a church. Last one, and I'll close. I still got like three pages of notes, but we're getting there. Ascended, received up into glory. Jesus ascended into heaven. Acts 1, he left. Philippians 2 said that when he left, <laughs> it says received up into glory, that there was probably a celebration unlike you've ever seen in your life. That he was exalted. He who humbled himself is now exalted and given a name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. That he's given, that he was crowned with glory, that he was seated in the heavens, that he today has the highest place that the heavens offer. That nobody has a higher throne than the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 24 says he's coming back again. I want you to see this. This last one shows us the victorious Christ. Not a wimpy Jesus. Are you with me? The church needs to hear that our Savior is victorious. Find you a church that preaches the triumphant, victorious, sovereign Lord Jesus Christ. That's where I want to be. That's where I want to be on mission. I, I, I don't have, get this, this is so good. I don't have a frustrated Savior. I don't have a Savior in heaven who's wringing His hands. I don't have a puny God. I don't have a weak Savior. 
Find a church that preaches the triumphant, victorious, sovereign Lord Jesus Christ that believes in that, that preaches that, and I'll join that church every day of the week and twice on Sunday. I want to be a part of that church. I don't want a church that that has a a puny God. I want a church that has a a big God and a powerful Savior. Find that church. Wouldn't you want to join that church? I want to be a part of that church that preaches Jesus Christ. That's what we do. I want want to give them to you one more time. Not not these six. I've given so many sub points today. Look for a church that's a family of God. Look for a church that worships the living God. Look for a church that stands for the truth of God. Look for a church that believes in the Son of God. That's the church I want to be a part of. If I lived in Ephesus in this day, and I walked through that city, I would see a huge crowd gathered around the temple of Diana. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is the Diana of the Ephesians. You'd hear it chanting. They, they even say, I read in a commentary this week, that it, even they, they'd walk through town, that's how they greeted each other. Instead of saying, hello, how are you doing? They'd say, great is, is Diana of the Ephesians. And they'd say back, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And then that's how you'd know that, that they're pagans and they're, they're idol worshipers. That's how you walk through that city. You'd hear it all over the place. And you could hear it even on, on the days that they would worship. You'd hear the, the sound of, of chanting going on over and over and over. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. You'd pass it by. And you'd be tempted to walk in. Attracted, popular, cool, hip. All the big names are going there. They've got music. They've got everything that you could ever want at the temple of Diana. You want to get a good job? Get in that church right there, in that temple right there. But I'll tell you what, if I was in Ephesus in those days, I'd walk right by it. Because over somewhere where people don't even look, you'd also hear in a small little home somewhere with a small group of people who are gathered, maybe even on Sunday night when not a lot of people gather, and they'd be in a home and they'd be singing, great is the mystery of godliness. Great is what God has revealed unto us. That God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit and seen of angels and preached unto the Gentiles and believed on in the world and received up into glory. And it's a faint little sound over in in some part of Ephesus over there. When everybody else is gathering over here, I don't know which one you want to be a part of, but I'm going to cast that away and say, no, sir, and I'm going to go join that group over there. That's who I want to be a part of. You know why? That's a family of God. That's a place... I can find the truth of God. That's where we worship the living God. That's where they know the Son of God. That's where I want to be a part of. And I'll tell you this. Living where we live today, you can get online right now. You don't have to walk through town. You can get online. I did it today, scrolling. I spent my life doing that. It's amazing how Hallie is a year old. I'll give her my phone and she starts doing it. You give her an actual picture, paper picture, and she does. Just the world changes. I was on my phone today. I knew I was preaching this, and I was doing, and church after church after church popped up. I mean, it was just all, all over the place. And the football game was on, and me and Steph was watching it, and, and I'd stop and listen. She'd say, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? That, that sounds like a bunch of pagans, she'd say. 
This somebody's doing something. She looked at me, he's like, what are you doing? Just scrolling, just scrolling, stopping here and stopping there. Again, you've got coffee shop church. You've got uh, church out back here. You've, you've got a big church over here with lots of people. You've got this church over here that has the best music you'll ever hear. You've got this church over here that has children's ministries. You've got this church over here that's doing mission trips. And this church over here that's doing outreach. And, have, and just all these different things that are going on. And, and I'm just going to keep scrolling and creep scrolling until I can find me a church. Huh. It's like a family of God. Till I can find me a church that worships the living God. Till I can find me a church that stands for the truth of God. Until I can find me a church that believes in the Son of God. And out of all that scrolling, I'll stop there. And that's where I want to go. That's how I'll choose my church. It may be small. It may not be much. It may not be popular. The preacher may be hated. But that's where I want to be. That's where I want my family to be. That's where I want my kids to be raised. But don't you want your kids to be raised in something like that? You better believe. I want my kids under that influence. I want my kids to know a church is like a family. And that as my kids do things, and we have that here, that as my kids do things, there's constant. I mean, I hear about Graceville playing basketball and everybody. Oh, we want to come see you. And that's just in the church. Who does that but a family of God? Oh, well, we, we want to go see her, and how are they doing, and how's your family, and just, just loving on each other. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we do. Oh, my kids to know that. That church is a family of God. I want my kids to be where God is. Don't you? You say, how, how can I... I want my kids to be saved. How can I? You can't guarantee it. There's nothing you can do. It's a work of God. But I'll tell you what I can do. I can make sure they're in a church where the living God is worshipped. Where the living God is shown to them week after week after week after week after week after week after week. I can make sure that my kids are in a church where the, they're not backing down on the word of God. And when the culture says something's right, that there's going to be a pastor standing up and saying, no, the Bible says this. I want a church that stands for the word of God. That's where I want my kids to be, right? And I want a church where they know and learn these six things and even more about Jesus. That everything you teach them, I love that. The more I learn about Jesus, the more I love Jesus, the more I want to serve Jesus, the more I want to worship Jesus, the more I want to share Jesus, the more I want to spend eternity with Jesus. I want my kids to be in a church that preaches Jesus. Man, that's what I want. So that's where I'll go. People say that to me all the time. Josh, you, you plan on, I get that. You plan on going anywhere as a pastor? You going to stay there? You, you think about moving up? Because I guess that's what, that's what pastors do. You move on up, right? I found me a place. And I don't know why anybody in the world, I mean, he's going to drag me out of here kicking and screaming. I've heard somebody say once, <laughs> If you tried to kick me out the front door, you're going to lock the back one because I'm coming right back in. You couldn't drive me away from this place. Why? The family of God. I can't imagine. I can't imagine packing my family up, my kids, and leaving the only church family they've ever known. You know that? I heard a story about a pastor a while back, and he was in the Puritan age, and he was pastoring a church. And another church called and said, we want you to be our pastor. 
him and his wife prayed about it and prayed about it. And they said, okay, we'll go. It was a bigger church with more opportunity in a bigger town. So they packed all their stuff up on their carriage and their horses, and they had it ready, and they were getting ready to leave. And the church, their church family came out, just a small little church, and was telling them bye and hugging them and waving and loving on them and loving their kids. And they got up there on the, on the getting ready to say, yeah, take off. You know, I don't know if that's how it goes, but that's what they were going to do. And said so the tears started falling out of the eyes of the pastor. And he looked over at his wife and he said, I can't leave these people. I can't do it. This is our family. And they unpacked and they stayed. You can't leave family. This is, you can't do it. This is a family. You can't leave the place where you worship the living God, where they stand for the truth of God, where they believe in the Son of God. Why would I ever, or any of us, ever want to leave this place? And I, I would tell people, and, and, and I get it, that it's not the most popular place in Big Stone Gap. But we need to tell people, this is the place you need to be. This is the place you need to bring your kids, and it's not the children's ministry, and it's not the music, and it's not, it's not what everybody else offers. Here's what we have, and you should want to be a part of it. I'll close with this quote. found it today. And I thought that, that's a good way to end this sermon. Spurgeon said, that very church which the world likes best is sure to be that church that God hates the most. I would rather be a church that the world hates and God loves. And that's the kind of church that Timothy is, Paul's telling Timothy he wants them to be and I want us to be. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. I know I was a little bit all over the place tonight with a lot of different things, but I pray that it hit home. That this is, uh, this is the kind of church we want to be. And I pray that you would help us to be that, help us to maintain that, help us to love that, to be so appreciative of what we have here. We are blessed in this church beyond any imagination. And it's all by your grace that this is what we are. And God, I pray that our people would appreciate it. I would appreciate it. And I pray that we would reach out and share with our people, the other people in the community. We have a great church here, and you should want to be a part of it. So thank you, God, for building this church, for allowing us to continue as a church, for preserving us through what has been in the last two years the hardest time for a church. And you've held us together. And I think it's because of those four things that we didn't get off into politics and we didn't get off into science and we didn't get off and we didn't get distracted. We stayed on our agenda of what you've set for us. So thank you for preserving us through these last two years. And I pray, God, that you'd help us to be that pillar and that ground of truth in this community for generations upon generations upon generations. Even after I'm gone and we're gone, may the truth of God remain in this place and in this community. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.